From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, February 7th through Friday, February 11th, 2022, it was a week of domestic and international issues, ranging from the border between Russia and Ukraine to the border between the United States and Canada. We're about to embark upon a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view about China, Russia, politics, the economy, the pandemic, climate, race relations, crime, violence, censorship, and football will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with the top 10 topics of the week. Jeff Katz in Richmond, Virginia, discussing crime. Michael Olson in Santa Cruz, California, talking about China and the Olympics. Lynn Woolley in Austin, Texas, opining about the rift in the GOP between Trump supporters and detractors. Claire Carter in New York City shedding light on unasked and unanswered questions about the pandemic. And Matthew B. Harrison in Springfield, Massachusetts, sharing insights into the metaverse and the juggernauts of virtual reality and artificial intelligence. An impressive array of influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, the countdown to Super Bowl 56. The big weekend is finally here as the Los Angeles Rams will be hosting the Cincinnati Bengals at the super modern SoFi Stadium. Super expensive TV commercials, a glitzy superstar halftime show, Hollywood celebrities, and a lovable underdog from Ohio. Along with concerns over security and a potential trucker blockade mark this year's annual extravaganza. At number nine this week, winter weather and climate change. It's going to be unseasonably super hot in Southern California for this year's Super Bowl, while most of the nation will experience extremely cold temperatures. And of course, no matter what the weather, some aspect of it is automatically attributed to climate change. At number eight, big tech issues, Joe Rogan and Spotify controversies, and race relations. It was another bad week for Facebook, or should we say Meta, The release of a terrible earnings report sent meta platforms spiraling down on the Nasdaq, wiping out hundreds of billions of dollars in market value. And on the Joe Rogan podcasting front, the controversies just keep on coming. A video composite of his chronic use of the N-word has made the rounds in social media, prompting an apology, but something he also characterized as a political hit job. 
Last week, Rogan was talked about over alleged pandemic misinformation. This week, it's race relations. Is Spotify getting their $100 million worth of publicity? At number seven, crime and violence. It's the same sad story. The shootings and killings on the streets of our major cities continues to outrage citizens, calling for better law enforcement and more action on the part of local DAs to prosecute. It's hard to keep up with all the shootings and murders. A man suspected in a suburban Denver church shooting that left a woman dead and two ministers wounded was shot to death by police after going on a crime rampage. At number six, U.S.-China relations tied with the Olympics. The world is watching as the Winter Olympics proceed under the firm grip of a totalitarian state during a pandemic amidst accusations of Russian doping and international intrigue regarding the lives of Chinese-American athletes. And then there are the games. Yes, that too. Athletic competition and sportsmanship. What a concept. Is anybody watching? At number five, Russia-Ukraine tensions and North Korea threats. The world holds its collective breath while Russia continues to amass troops along the Ukraine border. President Biden urged American citizens in Ukraine to leave the country immediately, warning that, quote, things could go crazy quickly in the region. Speaking of crazy, on the North Korean front, Kim Jong-un is back to making threats against the U.S. about the reach of his rockets and nuclear capability. At number four, the economy. Problems persist and in some cases are worsening. Inflation, supply chain breakdowns, and a depleted labor force dominate the financial landscape. At number three, the GOP rift over Trump tied with talk about the 2022 and 2024 elections. Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney aren't the only Republicans to oppose former President Trump as leader of the party. Mike Pence has made it clear that he thinks Trump is wrong about the former vice president's legal authority to stop the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimate election. The Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has openly split with the former president and his GOP allies on the issue of the Capitol riot being a legitimate form of political protest. He says not. Although Trump is still popular with the base and most GOP officials stand behind him, the midterm elections are still many months away, and 2024 is, in political measurement, an eternity from now. At number two, the January 6th investigation. Representative Liz Cheney wrote a powerful piece in the Wall Street Journal emphasizing the committee's resolve to get to the truth about the election of 2020 and the events of January 6, 2021, following a resolution from the Republican National Committee last week that formally censured her and fellow GOP rep Adam Kinzinger of Illinois for serving on the House Select Committee with Democrats. Missing White House phone records from the date of the event are adding difficulty to the committee's mission. Did Trump actually flush sensitive documents down the toilet? At number one this week, COVID-19 and the trucker protests. Debate over mask mandates and vaccine efficacy continues to dominate the national conversation, even as the nation, psychologically burned out on the pandemic, comes to grips with where we as a nation go from here. And the dominant news issue is the escalation of the Canadian trucker protest against vaccine mandates that's gaining momentum and appears to be spreading to the United States. All eyes on Los Angeles. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Crime and violence continue to be a dominant combination of intrinsically related topics on the talk shows of America. I caught up with the afternoon host of WRVA in Richmond, Virginia, who served as a Philadelphia police officer for five years before transitioning into talk radio some 
30 years ago. His name is Jeff Katz, and he's a very interesting guy. From what I understand, uh, part of the story about you that I hear and that I've heard over the years was that you, you come from Philadelphia, that uh, in your youth you had hoped to become a lawyer, but um, your, your father passed away and you had to help the family, and then you wound up becoming um, a policeman. Could you fill us in on that uh, particular piece of your personal history? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a long time ago. And uh, yeah, I was I was sure I was going to become an attorney. Uh my dad had a uh, had a major heart attack. Now he didn't pass away. It's only uh, a few years back that he passed away, but but he wasn't able to work, and uh, it was uh, it was a very very difficult time for the Katz family. Uh, my mom was was working, but didn't have a uh, a great source of revenue, and then benefits weren't particularly good. And I said, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to kind of put my stuff on hold. And I was fortunate enough to be hired on uh, as a police officer and uh, did that for eh, not, not a long time, I don't know, maybe five years or thereabouts. And uh, was, was very, very happy that I did that, was very proud that I was able to, uh, uh, to help out. And afterwards, I said, okay, now what? Um, I really hadn't looked at law enforcement as a long-term career. Uh, I didn't think at that point that I would be going to law school anytime and uh, kind of migrated into broadcasting. And um, I don't know, there was somebody that sung a song at some point, Michael, about a a long, strange trip. And uh, that's... (laughs) That's kind of what this is. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. My brain cells have all died because of that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, Philadelphia, were you a police officer in Philadelphia? I was. I was. I worked in the uh, uh, in the public housing projects, and uh, some people don't uh, know the difference. I mean, in Philadelphia, we had three separate police forces: the uh, uh, city police, the housing police, the transit police, like New York had, and L.A. and Chicago, and a lot of other cities eventually folded agencies in. We in Philadelphia stuck to that. So uh, uh, I was in the uh, the public housing projects in Philadelphia. Well, now you know you've been on radio all across the country since then. But now you're uh, in a place that's not that far geographically. I mean, it's not the same market, but it's you know in, in the right. east. Um, you know, Virginia is not that far from uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. The Mid Atlantic states are all kind of connected. Right. Um, obviously, you have been following the uh, fact that Philadelphia has become one of, if not the, crime capitals of America. What are your thoughts on that? I'm appalled. I I really am. I'm uh, I'm appalled at uh, what's going on there. Uh, Larry Krasner is the district attorney up there, and uh, he seems to have made it a a cornerstone of his administration that the district attorney's office, the prosecutor for the city and county of Philadelphia, is just not going to prosecute crimes. And uh, it doesn't take long for criminals to figure out, hey, we've kind of got a free pass here. Let's go out and do whatever we want. Uh, Richie Ross had been the uh, the police commissioner in Philadelphia for a number of years. Richie and I actually uh, went to junior high and high school together, and I, I thought he was doing a great job leading the uh, uh the law enforcement community in Philadelphia, and then he was kind of forced out by by the current mayor. And I, I I'm 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 almost at the point of tears when I look at 
the neighborhoods uh, in the city of Philadelphia and people who really honestly feel as if they uh, they can't go out their front doors. I mean, there, there, there are murders throughout the city. They've set new records in, in Philadelphia the last couple of years. And quality of life crimes, forget about it. There's just no enforcement at all. And uh, I still have friends who are some of them recently retired, some of them still on the job in Philadelphia. And, and the stories they tell me just, my gosh, Mike, Michael, they, 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 they just make my hair hurt. Now, these are this is um, specifically uh, connected, although uh, in part it's not the total cause, but it's connected to um, the DA and politics. Um, yeah. It's crazy that politics has played such a heavy role in um, issues involving law enforcement. Now, what's going on in Philadelphia? Uh, in terms of crime is happening in cities all around the country. Um, and I'm sure that your background, you, you say it was a brief period, but it was five years and five years when you're a young man that doesn't feel like a brief period when you're in the middle of those five years, when you're in your second right. and third and fourth year, you know. Um, That's right. so, so what have you brought to the conversation and, and, and your stance on the general crime and violence issue, having been a cop and being a conservative radio talk show host here in the era where everything is political? Well, I, I think my perspective is this. Uh, law enforcement ought not be a political issue. There, there really should not be uh, a Democrat Party view and a Republican Party view or liberal or conservative. I, I don't know anybody who wants uh, individuals to be murdered. I don't know anybody who wants children to be molested. And it, it just seems this is one of those few areas, frankly, uh, where there shouldn't be a political agenda. And yet, uh, I, I, I see that playing out, and I see the defund the police movement and the attacks on law enforcement on a on a continual basis. And uh, one of the things that I've been able to do here in Virginia uh, is to shine light on, on good police officers who are doing their job every single day of the week. And um, a number of years ago, I, I set up a program to honor a uh, law enforcement officer. I call it Blue Friday. And once a month, we, we bring in a, a local police officer, or a deputy sheriff, state police officer, state trooper, federal agent, but somebody who is here in central Virginia. And we tell their story on the air. And I've got a number of wonderful people who have donated uh, all sorts of uh, gifts for these folks, and we do that. And then uh, I also have a program where I, I take breakfast out to a, a local police agency uh, once a month had been the schedule. And then, of course, with COVID, everything has been dialed back, but we're looking to ramp that back up again. And not as a way to really change uh, the totality of the situation, but just to let people know there are good men and women who do the job and to let those good men and women know that there are some of us in the civilian world who, who appreciate what they do. That's talk show host Jeff Katz, who hosts Afternoons on WRVA in Richmond, Virginia. I want to thank John Fredericks, who owns WJNF-FM, our affiliate in Richmond, for being cool about Jeff Katz, a competitor, appearing on his station on this program today. This interview with Jeff Katz was excerpted from a much longer conversation I had with him on the current installment of my weekly podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview. Check it out at mhinterview.com. Coming up next, a look at China, the Olympics, and the global balance of power. You're plugged in to The Michael Harrison Wrap. 
Bernadette Duncan spent 26 years as a radio talk show producer. In her new book, Yappy Days, Behind the Scenes with Newsers, Schmoozers, Boozers, and Losers, she shares her adventures in the trenches of big-time talk radio during the changing backdrop of America's pre- and post-9-11 realities. This exciting story includes Bernadette's impressions of the quirky celebrity talk show hosts whom she served during her career. Larry King, Sally Jesse Raphael, Gil Gross, Tom Snyder, Lou Dobbs, Charles Osgood, and more. It's full of anecdotes about hundreds of high-profile guests from media, show business, and politics. Also quirky, ego-driven, and neurotic. Yappy Days, behind the scenes with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers, an analytical look at the media, journalism, and the complex nature of ego. Get it now at Amazon.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap. U.S.-China relations is always a front-burner topic on news talk media shows. And now, with the Olympics in full swing, China is really in the spotlight. Let's catch up with Michael Olson from our affiliate in Santa Cruz, California, the great KSCO. He hosts a very special program called China Watch Radio. The show takes an objective view of China and is not afraid to be critical in the many instances in which criticism of our superpower adversary is indeed warranted. Do you get the impression, as I get the impression, I wonder if you uh, corroborate this perspective, that um, let's say over the last five years, giving it a large chunk of time, that the American public has become extremely more aware of the dangers that our relationship with China and that China itself presents to uh, American security and to the American way of life and American interests in general? Well, yes, there is a gradual awakening here in the United States. But if when you look at the past 20 years, um, China and the United States have been engaged in an asymmetrical warfare, uh, asymmetrical uh, by, by the fact that China has been fighting the war and the United States has not. In fact, the United States has been bending over backwards to do everything it could to lift China up into its current position as the number two economy in the world. And we've done everything we could to help them. And so um, China has been taking advantage of, of that our largesse uh, during the past 20 years to become a dominant uh, world power. And I think we're finally coming to the realization that that dominance... Uh, is a direct threat to our fledgling little democracy that is a mere couple hundred years old. Are you concerned with the way politics has shifted globally with the current um, what seems like an alignment of interests between the Chinese and the Russians? Um, Well, of course, uh, because we have our two biggest adversaries now combining into one or at least that's what's being portrayed. Uh, and it certainly is a frightening prospect uh, <laughs> because we have a, a united um, enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a tough thing to face. Uh, but I think, with, in all due respects, that our biggest enemy with respect to China is not really uh, the China-Russia combine, but I think it's really the way that China 
has essentially taken over so much of the United States itself. Uh, this asymmetrical warfare of which I speak has one of the, one of China's principal weapons uh, in this conflict has been something I see com- coming to be called elite capture. And by that, I mean that China has captured so many of our decision makers uh, in so many different ways that now much of the decision making process is really being governed by China and not so much uh, the United States. And uh, I can give you an example, for example, in high tech. Um, we look at, the, at what's been going on with Apple Computer and how they have had to pay, what, $245 billion mm. to do business in China, and in doing so give away all of their secrets to China. Uh, we look at um, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. And so for the promise of being able to do business in China, they have essentially sold themselves to the Chinese Communist Party. We see that with our politicians. We see that with our business people. Um, we see that with our universities. Uh, we see that throughout uh, our economy and our culture. Hmm. Um, it's, and uh, that, I think, to me, is much more frightening than the combine of Russia hmm. and uh, how, China. How insidious. You know, we, we tend to still think about uh, military uh, power as being the key to uh, these type of struggles. But um, in this new era... There's a cyber war, there's a technology, there's a surveillance. And in this case, the way you've described it, it sounds like um, the U.S. is being invaded by China through the process of China buying this country. They're, they're, just, they're just buying it on the, well, on the open and, market. And why not? You know, it's much less expensive to take over a country by just buying it right. rather than going to war with it. Yeah. And and think think about where China is getting all all the money to buy us. We're we're sending them the money to buy us. That's outrageous. What are your thoughts about the Olympic as it, the Olympics as uh, they're unfolding? Um, have you been following it uh, from a standpoint of um, what it means to China, how they're managing it, and how um, the press has been handling the difficulty of covering it? The things we know about China is that one of the battlefields upon which it fights mightily is the battlefield of public perception. And, of course, the Olympics are their, one of their prime vehicles for managing how the world sees it and, it's, and it's, um, where it stands in, in the universe of nations. So China has invested a lot of money to make this Olympics stand out as a showcase of China as being the can-do nation. Uh, it has a lot on the line with respect to that. Well, unfortunately, you know, COVID kind of stepped in and changed the nature of um, how we go about doing things, especially the Olympics. And so the Olympics are now being held in a totalitarian bubble in which people can move from one bubble to the next but not to the to another bubble, mm-hmm. and so the world is really getting getting an interesting look at what life is like in a totalitarian society, 
by looking at what's going on in the Olympics. Now, whether China can use, still use the, the Olympics to make, it, make itself shine remains to be seen. Uh, the ratings here in the United States for the Olympics are in a state of collapse. There really is not the kind of a buzz about the Olympics, you know, summer or winter. Well, you know, the, the biggest buzz I see is the defections from the United States to China and how one of the defectors, the ice skater, uh, fell and, made a, and uh, washed out and is now being relentlessly harassed on Chinese social media uh, for having the temerity to defect and come to China and lose. And the other, uh, I believe, is a skier uh, who did win a gold medal and, of course, is now being hailed as uh, uh, the best thing since sliced bread in China. So the, that, to me, you know, is the biggest news are the two defectors from the United States competing for China. That's Michael Olson, the host of China Watch Radio, heard on our affiliate on the central coast of California, KSCO Santa Cruz. You can learn more about China Watch Radio at ksco.com or chinawatchradio.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Although former President Donald Trump remains a powerful figure within the Republican Party, his constant harping on the stolen election and the increasing pressure of investigations about his presidency and business operations have slowly but surely taken their toll on his total grip on the party, as evidenced by former Vice President Mike Pence and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell breaking ranks with him. There's been a ton of conversation this week about these and other splits and defections from Trump within the GOP. Let's head deep into the heart of Texas and visit with our dear friend Lynn Woolley, who co-hosts The Morning Show on KJCE Austin, and see what he has to say about this. It's got to be difficult being a conservative talk show host on radio in 2022 when all of a sudden, you know, Vice President Pence, former Vice President Pence, and... Uh, Senate uh, uh, leader, uh, Republican leader Mitch McConnell are suddenly uh, at odds with uh, a large segment of the party over Donald Trump. How do you handle that? Well, first of all, what's your own opinion about it? But then how do you handle it with listeners? Well, my own opinion about it is that the Republican Party is digging their own hole right now. And if they just didn't dig, uh, they're set for a red wave. And I'm not really sure why they're doing this sort of thing. Uh, you've got the Democrats in the in the midst, uh, and, and I think even the Democrats, if you've got them drunk somewhere, you know, would would agree with this. The Afghanistan departure was a disaster. The border is certainly a disaster, although they might not admit that one. Uh, the the inflation that we have going on right now, which is coined the term Biden inflation, that's a disaster. Uh, there's not much that Biden has done that has worked out, and therefore. The Republicans stand to gain probably the House and possibly the Senate, and there's a six to three majority on the Supreme Court, and all they need is the White House to be able to actually do some things to help this country, like bring the debt down and all that. And what are they doing? They're in a circular firing squad. So I don't know. I, I kind of lost it a little bit with Mitch McConnell. You said, how do I handle it on the air? All right. Well, I went out, I, I went on the air and I said about Mitch McConnell. This is not something that I would like for him to say, and it, it, it 
puts me a little bit at odds with him. And when it comes to Trump, you know, I'm a realist here. As Rush used to say, I live in Realville. I'm the secretary of logic. I'm the guy who applies common sense to all this stuff. And when the Republicans come out and make a statement that what happened at the Capitol is just normal, everyday political discourse, or a legitimate political discourse, I'm I'm a little leery of that. Because, but then again, I don't want to step into the CNN trap, and, and everything's January six. You know, January six is their Christmas, as we have come to learn. And I don't want to go on the air and and disagree with the Republicans because I think right now the Democrats are a disaster. But sometimes I think they need a consultant, or, or maybe a different consultant. I'm not really sure why the Republicans will be fighting with each other at a time when they stand to take over the entire Congress and stop this damaging Biden administration agenda. Well, perhaps they're, they're concerned, doing. perhaps they're concerned that uh, Donald Trump, um, with his insistence that the election was stolen and uh, with his association with some characters who have already been discredited uh, and, and some of the, the things that he says, um, maybe they feel that he stands in the way of assuring those victories that you think are, are forthcoming. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, we don't know what we don't know. I'll credit that line to Brett Bayer, but it's an old line, and I use it a lot. We don't know what we don't know. Will there be a red wave? That's what we're told. I don't count on these things until I see them. But the, the thing about Donald Trump that bothers me, and if he were to pick up the phone and say, Lynn, what should I do? I want to be president again. I would say, look to the future and stop looking to the past. Now, that's just me, because he may have lo- not lost the election fair and square, and I can comment on that. I've got my own views on it. But he lost it, and, and it's time for an Al Gore moment where you come forward and you say, look, Biden won the election, so get out there, Joe, and do what you do. And then I'll come back and run against you because under the Constitution, I can do that. But to keep saying over and over and over, the election was stolen. Pence was the guy that went out there and wouldn't certify or decertify this. I don't think Pence had the power to decertify it either. On the other hand, I don't and I love Mike Pence to an extent. He he wrote the introduction to a book I wrote with Cliff Kincaid one time, and that's all fine and good. Pence is a very laid-back guy, and right now we don't live in laid-back times. Even though he was a former talk show host, I don't know that he's got the the hudspeth to get up there and, mm-hmm. and do what has to be done. I think what people want right now, and this is just me, maybe I'm just telling you what I want, so, so I'll put it that way, and that is somebody that can deliver the kind of country, the kind of border, the kind of respect we got from people like Kim Jong-un uh, that Trump did. But maybe somebody who doesn't totally, completely want to destroy every enemy, you know, or somebody who doesn't have the retribution. I mean, look, there's people I'm mad at. There's people I'd like to go kick to the curb, you know, but I don't think about it every waking minute. And so that's what I would like to see. But I do think that the Republican Party is the party of Trump right now. There's no way to get around that. You can look at any poll you want to look at. You can look at how well DeSantis is doing, and he may be the guy, or Abbott may be the guy. I know Greg Abbott. He may be the guy. But uh, let's face it, Greg Abbott couldn't bring people to a to a, a rally the way that Trump does. He doesn't have that charisma. There's only been a few people in our lifetime that had it. Ronald Reagan had it. Bill Clinton had it. And Donald Trump has it. 
And I can't think of anybody else that's had it. You know, in politics, Limbaugh had it, of course. That's the very talented talk show host, Lynn Woolley, who co-hosts The Morning Show on KGCE in Austin, Texas. Coming up next, a conversation with the queen of prevention about the media's coverage of the pandemic, unasked and unanswered questions about its origins, as well as medical options in combating it, plus more. Coming up next, a look at China, the Olympics, and the global balance of power. You're plugged in to the Michael Harrison Wrap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. The pandemic continues to dominate conversation on talk shows across America with mask mandates among the myriad subtopics that are discussed under the wide umbrella known as COVID-19. Claire Carter, whom I like to refer to as the queen of prevention, is the host and founder of Good For You Radio and the Good For You Radio podcast. She's been increasingly critical of the mainstream media for not asking the key players in the coronavirus scenario the tough questions. I think that you shape people's opinions not only by what you include to write about or air, but what you might exclude as well. And there's a lot of information out there, a lot of controversies. So I'll give you an example. Watching a particular television show that I watch regularly, they interviewed Dr. Fauci. And then a few weeks later, they interviewed Dr. Collins. Nothing wrong with what's asked, but it's a question what struck me and notable is what wasn't asked. Mm -hmm. So you know how I care about prevention. It would seem like you would ask a question about the origins of the virus. I don't know how we get to preventing this from happening again unless we're ready, willing, and able to explore all options that are plausible and possible, whether it's from nature or from a laboratory, all the options. And there's something else, Michael, that I never even heard of before, and maybe a lot of people haven't. It's referred to as GAIN, G-A-I-N, of function research. I didn't know that in labs that there are scientists that take a virus that is in animals and transmit it between animals 
and they will tinker with it. They will toy with it. They will play with it to make it even more lethal. Now, scientists can say there are benefits to that, and I'd like to hear more about that, but the risk is always, from everything that I've read, that there could be a jump from animals to humans. Hmm. And as a result, there could be a pandemic. So I would really love to know from, you know, the doctors of the world like Fauci and Collins, what is the benefit that is so great that could it ever be worth the risk of a pandemic? Can we just talk to each other hmm. and present all of the information? Now, you, you brought this term up, gain of function um, research. I have to be honest with you. I had never heard of that, and I'm pretty much on top of this. And what you're saying um, sounds like um, scientists recruited to engage in biological warfare. And of course, there's this whole subset of conversation of it came from China, China's behind it. If you recall, we mm -hmm. called it the Wuhan coronavirus when it first came out, really having no idea what we were, in, what was in store for us. Um, are you suggesting that, because I can't think of any benefit of making something more lethal, animal-to-animal -animal research on a, pen, on, on a disease to make it more lethal. I don't, I don't know what benefit that would be. Maybe I'm missing something. I certainly would like to hear more about it. But um, uh, are you suggesting that th this is Chinese biological warfare? Well, I honestly don't know. I'm just suggesting that when a TV program you know, does an interview with people like a Dr. Fauci or Dr. Collins, why not ask the question? Why not explore from the experts? You know, if Dr. Fauci had said, as apparently he did one time, we don't want to impede the creativity of scientists, we have to take a look at that and say, maybe you don't want to impede it, but maybe in a certain instance, you want to stop, you know, short of anything that could create a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's all. It's just opening. There's so much controversy about it. Every time you open your mouth, somebody will say, but, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. We don't know where and, is the data. And there's so much politics. Later. Yeah, there's so much politics involved in this. So it's so political um, that uh, you don't know, you know, if you're stepping on somebody's political point of view or somebody's favorite candidate and, and things of that nature as well. You know, there was a lot more that I wanted to know. For example... I'll give you an example. Dr. Collins was asked if you could do something differently or NIH could do something differently, you know, what would it be? And, you know, he mentioned he didn't realize about vaccine hesitancy, but in the year 2020, before there even were vaccines, is there anything that we could have done? And I have real respect for people going, like, there was a hospital group in New York that said, did we put too many people on ventilators too soon? And they were going to review their policy. The head of New York City Health and Hospitals said, should we have maybe used CPAP machines before ventilators? CPAP machines are used for sleep apnea. You know, it's like, let's review it together. I don't mean antagonistically. I don't mean finger pointing. I mean, can we get together? Mm. You know, how do scientific discoveries and medical discoveries happen? Somebody might think outside of the box, you know, think in a different way. Can we just talk to each other? And the more information you have, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine called me within the 10 days, and she said to me, Claire, I never expected to get a severe case of COVID because I'm triple vaxxed. And she did. And she said, I wish I had known more about what to do for it. And so two years later, she felt unprepared. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with for the last two years from 
March 2020, having I would create the Healthy American Plan to prevent you from, you know, getting really sick, um, called the happy plan or whatever. But there was nothing wrong with putting some emphasis on diet and nutrition, exercise, supplements, therapies, early intervention. There was a study that just came out from Israel, like in the last week, about vitamin D3 and the correlation between vitamin D3 deficiency and COVID-19 severity. But somebody told me that, a healthcare professional, back in March 2020. So these are things, if you know about, you can talk to your doctor about it. I think that kind of information is helpful. Well, this kind of information is out there if only people will go for it. And if it, if more of it were in back to your um, comment on the media, that um, often doesn't present the entire picture. Uh, and this goes on in all political discourse these days. People cherry pick that which makes uh, the bias of their show or their network um, or their news organization that it confirms or affirms uh, the way the audience feels. And, and this is very, very negative syndrome, and it, and it causes everything to become political. But what you said is true for a lot of yeah. things. And um, in conclusion, uh, I just want to say uh, that you're, you're right on the money, and, and very, very intelligent people over the years have echoed this, that a major plank of, of the American, of the world, health care, you know, uh, position should be prevention uh, and and we should be teaching this and talking about it but the reality is so much of disease is prevention last word is just something at different point the covid relief bill there was just a study about a study a report that there was maybe a hundred billion dollars of fraud related to it and a secret service agent who's in charge said can we stop fraud will we no and it's like your mind it's boggling that Again, prevention. How do we prevent a good bill, COVID relief? We're going to help people, but then we can't prevent $100 billion from going to fraud. If this was a real business, a small business, a large business, it could not tolerate that kind of fraud. But what do we do about it? Where's the apology? Where's people being appalled that that much money could get wasted? And so I think prevention... You know, it's like the electric grid. For a lot less than $100 billion, you know how I feel about securing the grid. We could have secured our electric grid. And that is important for our health and well-being, you know, of our nation. And right now, with Russia possibly going into Ukraine, we hope and pray it doesn't happen. But there's talk about will they do, you know, a cyber attack first. So that's how I think prevention when it comes to your own personal health and well-being, prevention when it comes to the well-being of our nation. That's Claire Carter, the host and founder of Good For You Radio, often described by yours truly as the queen of prevention. To learn more about Claire and her unique platform, go to TalkersLive.com. That's TalkersLive.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We have time for one more, and it's a big one having to do with big tech. There, the ongoing series of Joe Rogan controversies and his relationship with his Deep Pockets exclusive podcast platform Spotify, as well as the continuing misadventures of Facebook, digital media platform Bias, and the emergence of a murky concept known as the Metaverse. We're joined now by the producer of this program, as well as the associate publisher of Talkers Magazine. He's an attorney and a professor who teaches media law at Western New England University School of Law. And he's also my son, Matthew B. Harrison. Metaverse refers to the Internet space that 
is probably going to be in virtual reality, where individuals would meet together virtually as digital avatars and then do whatever it is that they need to do, like have a meeting or attend a concert together. So uh, when you say avatar, does that mean like looking at a screen or in this case, it's, it's in a, you know, you're putting something over your eyes um, and it's like a cartoon figure and it does what you tell it to do? Or are you actually physically sitting in a room and you're surrounded by holograms around the table of people who are in their room? You know, and, and, and you think you're all together and you're not. I, I mean, I, I just still don't get it. Well, you are meeting in a common place, but you are in your own home office. Right. And in your pod, and you never have to leave your house again to go anywhere or experience anything. It, it is almost like the movie The Matrix. And and you would feel things. They, they, there's ways of having you actually have, a, if somebody shook your hand and you're shaking hands with this other holograph that's with you in this space, you would feel their hand? Y- yes. Meta is, has been dealing with the issue of these digital avatars interacting negatively or uh, inappropriately with each other. Um, unwanted touching, unwanted language, unwanted interactions. And so they've had to put a a border, basically, an invisible border around your digital avatar so that you're limited in how you can, in fact, interact with somebody. So what what you're saying is you could assault somebody and go to jail as a result of what you did in virtual reality in a a metaverse um, setting? It was an issue back when when it was just text-based anonymous internet. Uh, Now that it's virtual reality where there's going to be feeling and touch and artificial intelligence, um, yeah, potentially. You know, there's a thing called the Fermi paradox in the world of uh, astrophysics, and it's based on the question that um, scientists named Fermi once uh, proposed. With all of the time the universe has been here and how old it is and how how, um, big it is and, and the fact that there's elements of life all over the place in terms of chemicals, where are the aliens? And and astronomers and physicists and philosophers all over the world are having that argument. Where are the aliens? And the theory is, is that when a society technologically reaches the point where it can have virtual reality, as you're describing with this metaverse or meta or, or, or you know, artificial intelligence, virtual reality becomes addictive on such a level that an entire species could go into withdrawal from reality and the entire species could be spending all its time in virtual reality and never, ever have the interest in going out into space or <laughs> leaving their houses. And, um, I mean, it, it sounds like science fiction, but, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yes, and you have a lot of companies poised, ready to pounce um, when the audience starts to grow for this stuff, selling you both the equipment so that you can feel and, and interact and have the best goggles and the fastest computer so that you can see without it, you know, causing problems or refreshing. And, and also that you have the best meeting space or home space. It's like, how can I virtually impress my friends? Go back to the original series of Star Trek and there was a pilot. The, the pilot was called The Menagerie. And it was about how Captain Pike, the predecessor to Kirk, was so physically damaged that, that he could not move. He was in a machine to keep him alive. And they sent him to a planet where they had uh, total, absolute 
absolute mastery of virtual reality, and he lived happily there for the rest of his life. That's a real classic. That's the producer of this show, the associate publisher of Talkers, an attorney, and a law professor at Western New England University School of Law, Matthew B. Harrison. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, February 7th through Friday, February 11th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Rap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. <laughs>